Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and you're listening to High Performance and I'm very excited to bring you this episode at the start of 2023. This podcast reminds you that it's within. Your ambition, your purpose, your story are all there. We just help unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. And don't forget, if you want this podcast in a live theatre setting, the most amazing show we've put together for you, then we are touring the UK this year. Just check out thehighperformancepodcast.com forward slash live 2023 or just search for High Performance Podcast Live Tour. I'd love to see you on the road because the conversations we're going to be having like this one today are so helpful for you. Right now, myself and Professor Damien Hughes are speaking to a man who I believe is one of the brightest thinkers and writers on the planet. Today, we welcome Mark Manson. Honestly, when when subtle art blew up and became number one on all the bestseller lists and was huge in a bunch of different countries, I was the most depressed I had been probably since I was a teenager. You've defined yourself in one way that is extremely comfortable and feels secure. And then when somebody comes and offers you a huge opportunity, that completely negates a lot of the narratives that you've been basing your life on. To me, psychologically speaking, it feels much better to be at the bottom of a mountain because you have nothing to lose and you get to enjoy that process of learning and climbing and improving and seeing the gradual success. Oh, I can't tell you how much of a fan of Mark Manson's thinking and writing I am. If you're not sure who he is, he is the number one New York Times bestseller, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a f- and Everything is f- which is actually a book about hope. And what he says on his website is that he writes life advice that is science-based, pragmatic, and non-bullshitty. So basically life advice that doesn't suck. Because, you know, he believes that your great life, which is what it should be, your life should be great, is not made great by a bigger house and a new car and a promotion and looking amazing and all of your wonderful clothes. Your great life is actually achieved by focusing on the things that you really care about, just the things you really care about. And blocking out the rest. He knows that a great life is not just about an easy life. Like actually, you need to understand that sometimes life is going to be a real challenge for you, okay? So how do you create a sense of purpose that helps you push through the pain? How do you actually not look at huge problems but actually see them as small, easily copable situations? How do you make better choices every day? And how do you actually not suffer in advance, as the Stoics would say? How do you make sure that even though there is inescapable pain in life, that you don't suffer more than you should? I believe that Mark is the kind of guy that can get you closer to a life of resilience. And he will talk about his feelings in this podcast, um, which I've never heard him talk about before, where he said he had depression after the success of his first book. He goes deep into burnout. We talk about adjusting our attitudes towards failure. It's a really, really fascinating conversation. I'm so pleased that you are starting 2023 in the company of the High Performance Podcast. And today you start it in the company of Mark Manson. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Well, Mark, welcome to High Performance. Let's start as we always do. In your mind, what is high performance? I think high performance is simply living up to your own aspirations and expectations for yourself. And how do you do that? That's that's a much longer answer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's I think it's easier to talk about all the ways we don't do that. You know, we lie to ourselves, we trick ourselves, we think short term instead of long term we don't take care of our bodies we don't take care of our minds you know there's there's a million reasons that we fail to live up to our own hopes and aspirations for ourselves and for all the work that you've done right have you actually managed to work out why human beings do this like for example why do people need the high performance podcast you know like 
They're magic and amazing and brilliant enough. Why do our brains trick us into this negativity all the time? Our minds did not evolve for necessarily finding truth or achieving success or reaching expectations. Our minds evolved to help us survive. And the psychological functions that helped us survive on the savannah are the same psychological functions that screw us up, you know, when it comes time to, you know, maybe pass on that, that drink or go to bed early or not doom scroll on social media. It's just, we're operating with hardware that evolved hundreds of thousands of years ago. Um, it's not adapted to our current environment. We're both huge fans of your book, both the first one and the follow-up book on hope. But one of the questions that really jumped out to me that I've always wanted to ask you was something that we sometimes get accused of on this podcast, which is delusional positivity. <laughs> the idea that you're almost like that you're feeding people false hope, this, mm. you know, this narrative. And I'm interested in exploring your views on that. I definitely shit on delusional positivity quite a bit, but it's, you know, there's a fine line between, because I think it, it's probably useful to be irrationally optimistic at times. Like it, there's all sorts of science that shows that, you know, people who expect better things for themselves tend to achieve better things for themselves. But there's a fine line between kind of being overly optimistic or overestimating yourself versus just being outright detached from reality which can't hurt you with, you know, so it's, it's trying to understand where that line is and being able to walk it effectively. So tell us where you've learned that line is and some of the lessons about walking along it that can help us. It's useful to have maybe irrationally high hopes or expectations for yourself. But as soon as reality disagrees with that, you need to be willing to accept reality. I think that's where people run into trouble is they have these huge expectations for themselves. And then when reality doesn't meet it, they just kind of lie to themselves and try to convince themselves that reality is meeting it. I think a lot of this comes back to being comfortable with, with failure or like if you are going to consistently have very, very high expectations for yourself, you also need to be prepared to feel let down regularly for not living up to those expectations. And so if you can get comfortable with that letdown and keep trying and don't let it deter you or demotivate you, you know, like that seems to be the secret sauce. It's like expecting a lot, not hitting it, but not being deterred from not hitting it and trying again. I think I've probably made a life mark out of being delusionally positive. Honestly, I, I honestly, <laughs> a lot of people do. <laughs> I think the only reason I'm talking to you now is because I am delusionally positive. And yes, sometimes it can cause me problems. But the way I live is like, I meet like I meet you now and I don't just think we'll do a quick recorded mark and we'll be done. I'm like, right, I could do a quick recorded mark and then if I get his number, I could be over in the States and we could talk about a follow-up film to the one that he's just released. And I've got this production <laughs> company, we might do that. We'll probably end up on holiday in Hawaii somewhere in a few years' time. He might <laughs> teach me to surf and I might become the godparent to his... Like that is how my mind operates, right? Everything is going to be incredible. Everyone's going to offer an amazing opportunity. Every business idea is going to be the one that flies. Admittedly, 80% of the time, right? <laughs> it's a letdown. Yeah. But the joy for me is I know that the 20% of the time that it doesn't let me down, it leads to something brilliant. You know, this podcast was only born out of being delusionally positive that people would fucking bother to listen to the thing. Like yeah. if I had any sense of normality, I'd be like, of course people don't care that an ex kids TV presenter is going to hook up with a professor and try and talk about mindset. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> so I can see there's something great about it. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I agree with that. Like, the, and, and again, I think it's, it's useful to dream big. I think when it comes to like projecting a future, it's very, very useful. I think where it trips people up is when they hold on to it in the present. You know, it's like, imagine if you started this podcast and yeah, nobody listened to it, but you went around acting as though you're like Joe fucking Rogan and, <laughs> <laughs> and they, you know, it, like that's where you run into trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so break it down for us then, Mark. So you talk about this living with disappointment as a secret sauce. Mm -hmm. So tell us some of the ingredients of this secret sauce and that people listening to it can build into their lives while still retaining some of the optimism that Jake speaks about. 
I think it's important to not let yourself be deterred or demotivated. I think it a lot of it comes back to how you interpret that letdown process, right? Like if something doesn't work, are you judging yourself? Are you making like evaluative judgments on your own personal value? You know, it's like, oh, I tried to start a podcast. Nobody listened to it. I'm such a loser. Nobody cares what I think. Like, is that the the story that you're spinning up to uh, explain the failure or are you explaining it in different ways? Like, okay, well, maybe I need to become a better presenter. Maybe I'm not talking about topics that people care about. Maybe I could uh, express my ideas better. Maybe I could prepare for the show better. I think that that is a huge component of learning from those disappointments, learning from those failures. You know, okay, I, I hoped that this podcast was going to be a huge thing. It's not. But if I fix X, Y, and Z and improve at A, B, and C, maybe in another year it will be. And, you know, you keep the dream alive, so to speak. See, I, I, one of my issues with this sort of stuff is that I think a lot of, I don't want to say young people because it makes me sound old, but it also like categorizes <laughs> everyone together. Okay. But I do see this in the younger people that I have in my life. I mean, there's a couple of people in particular I can think of, right, who keep on saying to me, this is going to be the year when everything changes. This is, And they put it on their social media, like a ridiculous photo of them, like with their arms folded, staring into the <laughs> distance saying, you know, 2023, time to catch the vibe or something like that. I'm thinking, what does that actually mean? And then when I'm with them, the behaviors are the same. The work ethic is mm -hmm. the same. The ideas are the same. The people they're surrounded with are the same, but the plans are totally different. I think there is a conversation for us to have here about and you, it's brilliant that you talk about it in your film, the, a whole generation of people who want more from the world than they're willing to put into the world. And I think this is, this is a conversation we should discuss about, it's great to have grand, bold, brilliant, huge, amazing ambitions and want the best for yourself. But your, your behaviours and your hard work has to marry that up, right? It's a lesson that all of us have to learn at some point when we're young. I, I, I think that few of us just naturally understand that things take a lot of time and things take a lot of sacrifice. And there's a very long, gradual learning process to becoming excellent at anything. You know, when you're, when you're young, you, you don't totally understand that. You, you really do think, you know, if you just show up, like amazing things are going to happen for you. And so that first disillusionment that happens is tough for young people, but I think it's also very important to learn that lesson. It's also a problem I run into in, in this industry in general, which is it's much easier to sell the idea of something than to actually help people go and do it. Because nine times out of 10, going and doing it is not fun. It's not sexy. It, it involves a lot of very boring, tedious things that don't translate well on Instagram. Or you could just sell the idea. You can create a meme or a beautiful sunset with a quote, you know, and it's like, and you'll go viral because everybody likes to feel that way. I do think there's a little bit of an issue in the self-help industry in general in differentiating between are we actually helping people perform, to use the word that you guys use, or are we just helping them people feel good about potentially performing better in the future? So one of the things that I love about your writing is when you talk about this myth that we're told in education that we're all special. <laughs> and, yeah. and and I love the fact that like, that's a myth that you're determined to help us perceive in a different way. Would you explain a little bit more about that, Mark? First of all, most of us are not extraordinary at anything. And even if we are extraordinary at one thing, chances are we're very, very ordinary at the other 500 things that we do in our life. You know, So it's like, even if you are Lionel Messi or somebody like that, you're still probably a very average father. I mean, and this is no knock on Messi. I'm just kind of pulling him out of, out of a hat here. But it's like, you're probably an, an average or slightly above average father. You're probably, you know, average or slightly above average at like managing your finances. You're probably like, it, it's all these things that we deal with in our day-to-day -day lives. We're all very, very normal. Like the, the average across all of the experiences that we have is that we are going to be very unextraordinary at most of the things we do. And so as a culture, we we overly obsess and overly focus on 
the few extraordinary performers and trying to be extraordinary at one thing ourselves. And I obviously there's there's a lot of value in that. I don't want to knock that. I think it's good to try to be extraordinary at something. But I also think it's important to be realistic about the vast majority of our life is going to be com- very, very ordinary and very mundane. And we're going to screw up in very ordinary and mundane ways. And to not judge ourselves for that and not judge others for that. And it's healthier overall to have that mindset. It's a real challenge though, isn't it? Because in the modern world, you click on Instagram and what do you see? Good looking people doing freaking awesome things in beautiful countries. And, you know, I'm trying to get my daughter to go to the toilet a bit quicker so we're not late for the school (laughs) run or something. And it does leave you going, oh, really? Is this it? So I wonder what messaging you think is the healthy messaging to give our kids. Because have you got children, Mark? I don't think you have, but maybe. Uh, I do not. No. So Damien and I have have both got kids. And, you know, I will be totally honest that every day I'm like, Florence, Seb, remember, you're special. Remember, you're the most special person (laughs) in your class. Be the light in the room. There's something really unique about you. You're going to live an amazing life. Maybe that's not healthy to tell them all that, because actually maybe they get to 25 and go, my dad told me this life was going to be amazing and I was special. What was he talking about? <laughs> Not that I don't yeah, think they I are, mean, but it's a, it's a tricky one. I mean, that that's kind of the reputation millennials have, right? Or like what we used to get ragged on, you know, 10, 15 years ago is like, I mean, my generation, like growing up, I was told I was special and unique and extraordinary and blah, blah, blah. And I hadn't done a fucking thing. Uh <laughs> There is some research I have seen on this, and I I believe what it says is that, generally speaking, you want to compliment your kids for effort, not for necessarily like who they are. Like, so you don't want to, you don't want to tell them like, oh, you're so smart, you're so talented, you're so brilliant before they've done anything. You want them to do something and then say, you were so brilliant at that. You were so talented at that. So you, it's almost like you praise the the action, not the, not their identity. You're holding up a, a fair old mirror to us here, Mark. That when we so we host a podcast called High Performance, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, yep. and, 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 and and we advocate that high performance is within for all of us. We can go after it. And I'm thinking of a quote that we had from a Formula One a racing driver called Mark Webber an Australian guy that we sat down and interviewed, and he said, average is easy. That's why it's popular. It's making me go back and question whether that is the right kind of message that we should be putting out there. What's your view on that to us? I think it's a great question. So I think we're talking about two slightly different things here. You know, what what I talk about in my book and this this whole thing about being extraordinary, it, it has more to do with, with self-image and self-esteem. Because it, one of the problems that I see, and again, particularly in young people, is that they kind of have this idea of like, well, if I'm not doing this amazing thing in this amazing country and posting on Instagram, I'm a loser. It's a self-evaluation thing. The truth of the matter, though, is that as we all enter adulthood, as we all get careers and jobs and have goals and dreams, you do want to be well above average at something in your life whether it's being a Formula One race car driver or, you know, being the the best insurance broker at your agency, right? Like you, everybody wants to excel at something. And I think it's once you have that orientation towards pursuing something that it's not about self-image or self-esteem, but it's more about basically you have a healthy relationship with that activity in your life. You know, it's like, I want to be the best writer I can be. I want to excel at it. I want to be a high performing author, but I don't judge myself worth on that. It's not how I'm receiving self-esteem in the world. I get my self-worth from other things, from my relationships, from my marriage, from my friendships and, and my career as well. But it's just one small piece of an overall puzzle most of which is very ordinary and mundane. So I think what you guys are doing, it's extremely important, but it it needs to be contextualized and understood that like, like if people are coming to you guys to feel good about themselves, that's a problem. If people are coming to you guys because it's like, I want to be the best salesman in my company, period, 
that's great. That that's awesome. That makes sense. You know, it's really good that. And actually, I think um, to be honest, Mark, it's something that we've become aware of. Like when high performance first started, I had the original idea and wanted it to be all about like graft and get smacked in the face and get up and keep going and you can do it. And actually, when you have conversations, you know, like another example is Johnny Wilkinson, who is a rugby player, English rugby player. He won the Rugby World Cup. It's one of the most famous sporting moments in the history of our country. It was a drop goal in the very last minute of a final. He'd spent 20 years for that moment and the joy was 30 seconds long. And then he went right back to the start. That was the first time I heard someone talk like that. And I thought, wow, so this message I'm desperate to put across of keep on going regardless of what happens because you'll get that great moment at the end. You realise there is no great moment at the end. So really, (laughs) this podcast has changed really to us kind of saying to people, the total opposite, really. It's like you talk about it in your books, you talk about it on your film, the hedonic treadmill. We're trying to remind people to get off this hedonic treadmill of believing there's going to be a moment. Yeah. Look, success is not universally a positive experience. And it's not, it's also not clear cut what success is. Honestly, when, when subtle art blew up and became number one on all the bestseller lists and was huge in a bunch of different countries. I was the most depressed I had been probably since I was a teenager. And it was simply because I had no fucking idea what to do next. Like here are all my dreams that I had since I was in my early twenties and they all happened within about three months of each other. And I was only 32 years old and I'm like, shit, I still have a whole career in front of me and I'm pretty sure nothing I ever do is going to match or top this. And so I just kind of felt this paralysis of not knowing what to do next, not knowing who I was going to be, not knowing what to dream, like what my my goals were, what to pursue, what to care about. Uh, And so it sent me into kind of like a six month tailspin that was really blindsided me because, you know, like everybody, I kind of assume that you have this big bestselling book and everything's going to be great and you're going to be happy all the time. And it is very ironic considering the stuff I talk about in the book, because in my book, I, I kind of talk about how this stuff, it's not clear cut and it's not obvious and you you always need a new problem to confront. But yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I think I think this idea, you know, th- this this game that our, our minds play with us of, you know, if you just put dangling that carrot in front of us and telling us, hey, if you, if you get the carrot, everything's going to be great. That it, that it is just a game. It's kind of an illusion that goes on. Uh, I, I think it's important and it is really, uh, it's necessary to talk about with these topics. And have you seen it? Because, you know, you 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 wrote Will alongside Will Smith, right? That's a guy who has scaled the world of acting. Is it the same for people like him? Did you get a sense that actually for him, it's, it is about the journey, pushing through the tough times, doing the process, not about like winning the Oscars or getting the awards or being number one. I definitely did talk to Will about it. It's interesting because Will himself, speaking of a delusionally positive person, um, and he, (laughs) he readily admits that he never went through that himself, but it is, he said that it is such a common thing in that industry, actually both music and film. Uh, he said that he actually told me, he said, Quincy Jones used to call it altitude sickness. He said people would climb the success ladder too fast and they would get altitude sickness and they'd fall off. You almost have to experience success at a certain rate of growth to kind of like remain mentally stable. When I did the publicity rounds for my follow-up book and I, I shared this story about kind of being depressed after the book's success, so many people reached out to me they're like, I've never talked about this with anybody before. You know, I had a friend in New York who actually came up to me and he was a really successful startup founder and he exited his first startup for an obscene amount of money. And he told me, he said that first year after I exited this is the most miserable year of my life. Like I, he, he had ton, many, many, many millions of dollars in his bank account. And he said, he just sat around in his house, bored, depressed, like completely lost. <laughs> uh, so it, it's, um, but this so is tell the thing. Us, Mark. So, sorry, so sorry to interrupt. I, I'm interested yeah. as a, as a survivor of altitude sickness yourself then, and having met other sufferers of it, 
what are the tricks that you've learned to be able to process that success and then carry on without it feeling that everything else is a disappointment after it? One ingredient of it is is simply time. Let it normalize a little bit in your brain and then also get a little bit of distance from it, <laughs> to, to use my own phrasing, like to give fewer fucks about it. I actually, I have a friend who's an author who has experienced similar drastic sudden success recently. And I had uh, a conversation with him about a year ago about it. And he was kind of going through a lot of the same stuff that I went through. And I, I told him, I said, the best piece of advice I can give you is to just wait. If you're unsure, if you're kind of freaking out, if all these projects are showing up and you feel like, like an obligation to do them, but you also are an anxiety ridden mess doing them. I said, just wait, like, just take a couple of years. Like <laughs> it's not going to go away. Most of the the deals in front of you are still going to be there. You know, just take a year or two, get your head on straight. Because I, I kind of did the opposite. I started saying yes to everything. Cause I, I think I had kind of this insecurity of my lottery ticket hit and this is going to be gone soon. So I should just say yes to every project, every speaking gig, every appearance, because it's all going to go away. And I burnt myself out really bad. And I kind of lost direction because I was, you know, if you're saying yes to everything, then like you need to say no to things to know what you care about. So anyway, uh, I think that's another big piece of it is is to to get better at saying no to things, get more discerning on what projects actually excite you, what you actually care about. And then for me, it, it took a couple of years to kind of start formulating new dreams for myself, new goals, new aspirations. Like what is the next big thing that I want to accomplish? And then once I found that, you know, it's like, a, it's basically, you know, it's, it's that old saying of you climb a mountain, you spend years climbing a mountain and you get to the top. And just to realize that there's another bigger mountain behind it, you got to figure out what that bigger mountain behind it is essentially. And then you, you go start climbing that. What's yours? I actually, I want to create a media company over the next 10 years. I'm still going to write books, but I started blogging in 2008 and the knowledge I've gained from building up an, a web business, building up an online platform, doing all the blogging, doing all the social media, hiring a team to do all that stuff. I feel like I've just accumulated enough knowledge that I can start kind of building a full company out of that knowledge. And I feel like there's just a lot of opportunity. I mean, you guys are part of it as well. Like just in podcasting and video, YouTube, this is the new TV and radio of the 21st century. And we're in, we're still in like the very, very early stage of it. And it's funny too, because, you know, I've done this film, which was great. And I've hung out with Will and was around his people in the movie industry. And I've been talking to some people in TV about some stuff with television shows. And I've really just kind of become convinced that it's like, what like Spotify did to the music industry is about to happen to these industries as well. Yeah, I'm I'm in full agreement. And one of the reasons, so you won't know this because you live in the States, but here in the UK, I've had like 20 years on the telly here, children's television, then Formula One racing. And now apart from this podcast, I'm a football host over here. But actually the reason why I do what you'd call proper TV, right? In front of millions of people in a big studio with makeup and all the works and I get just as much of a thrill out of sitting in front of a sort of pretty cheap camera in a spare room in my bedroom talking to you is because I actually, like you, I think that this is the, we're at the beginning of something really exciting. And after a 20 year media career, I looked at everything, radio, even books, TV, everything. And I just thought, and then podcasting comes along and I'm like, this is the beginning of something really, really special, a totally unique way to speak to people. I think podcasting is is currently 1% of what it will be in 10, 15 years. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And that's kind of what I'm banking on. It feels good to be new at something again. I think uh, one of the things kind of coming back to the topic of some of the ways that success doesn't always feel great is when you're, you are at the top of the mountain, you feel this constant pressure and anxiety of, of falling down it. To me, psychologically speaking, it feels much better to be at the bottom of a mountain because you have nothing to lose 
and you get to enjoy that process of learning and climbing and improving and seeing the gradual success unfurl in front of you. When you're at the top of the mountain, it's just this constant panic attack that like the next thing you do is going to fuck everything up. And it's funny too, because this is all just taking place in my head. I think my fans, like no nobody outside of me sees any of this or experiences it this way, but it's just in my head reorienting to feel like I'm at the bottom of a mountain again is just been so liberating the last couple of years. But when I listen to you describing that, the, the journey that you're now on and the adventures you're now pursuing though, Mark, it, it sounds exhausting to me. And the reason I say that is because you mentioned a word that really made my ears pick up, which was burnout. As somebody that's come close to that myself over the years where you, you get a bit too close to the flame and you start to see the symptoms of it. And I know that lots of people that listen to this will contact us and talk around the dangers of burnout. I'm interested in your experiences of it, your definition of it, and also your lessons of how you've stepped back from the brink so you can go after these new exciting adventures without risking it again. I've always been a little bit of a workaholic my entire adult life. And it's funny too, because I used to be critical of the idea of burnout years ago. And then it happened to me and I was like, whoa, I didn't, where did that come from? I've never felt this before. And looking back, I think the problem was, I think we all have a certain amount of capacity to do things that we don't really care about. Like, you know, do it for the paycheck, do it because it's good for the resume, whatever. Like there's a certain percentage of your effort that you can allot to stuff like that. I think once you exceed that percentage for too long of a period of time, it starts to eat away at you. And I think that's what happened to me, kind of going back to this this feeling that I needed to say yes to everything. Yeah, I basically got myself into a situation where I'm going to a bunch of events that I don't really care about. I'm working on some projects I don't really care about. And you can do that a little bit, but once you do it for three, four years and you're doing it around the clock and working your ass off, it catches up with you. And so... Again, I think it comes back to learning how to say no to things and being very, very discerning and, and merciless about the things you say no to. And then in my case, I mean, I think once you're in that burnout, like you really need just time away. You need time off. You need a vacation, a short sabbatical, whatever. I ended up, <laughs> I originally planned on only taking a month off at the end of last year. And then I had so underestimated how burnt out I was that after that month, I was like, I think I need like two or three more. And I ended up taking six off and I, it complicated a bunch of contracts. I had to call people and say, Hey, that thing I was going to do, I'm not doing it. Or, Hey, that book that you thought I was going to be writing this year, I'm not writing it, but it needed to be done. And honestly, it was one of the best decisions I've made in the last few years. For people who are at a different stage of this journey, who hear that and think, I wouldn't be brave enough to do that. I'm really interested just to explore what it does for you. I remember reading actually, um, when I was doing my research for this interview about when you got the phone call to work with Will Smith and you said in an article, it took six months to arrange it. And then you finally got together. You, you wrote brilliantly about what it's like being in the world of a celebrity for a little while where, where like people are shaking while filling up his water glass and there's security everywhere. <laughs> people just scream when he walks out of a door. But then you also said, as I went into that weekend with him, I made two promises to myself. Um, he needs to be a person of integrity and this can't be just another celebrity book. Now, that is where you're really tested because it's very easy to go, do you know what? I'm going to say no to work. And then Will fricking Smith gets on the phone and goes, come and write my book with me. That is the moment where, do you really care about not getting burnt out again? And I think this is a, an interesting topic for our audience to hear you talk about. I think that book was actually one of the only things that kept me sane through that period because it wasn't about me. It was almost a relief to work on that book because I didn't have to come up with the ideas. I didn't have to go through the insecurity and self-doubt of like, oh, are people going to judge me for this, whatever. It's like, oh, it's him. I, like nobody's going to, you know, if people think he's a, an idiot for doing this, you know, it's not my problem. So, it, you know, his book was a little bit of a respite in that way. There's something kind of paradoxical, and this this happens not just with work, it happens in human relationships, it happens in a lot of areas of life, whereas like, as soon as you're willing to lose something, 
people want to give it to you. Like people respect you more. They're they're more accommodating. And so it's this weird thing where like, as soon as you're like, you know what? I'm willing to let this go. I'm willing to lose this. Not only do you kind of liberate yourself, but the people who are leaning on you to perform are often like, oh shit, I don't want to lose this guy. Like he's, he's really, really good. And if he needs this time off or whatever, people get cranky, they get a little bit pissed off. But if you are doing good work and if you are adding value to your business relationships, at the end of the day, they understand. And one of the, one of the things that I, I was very important to me when I took this time off and I, I used to always think this about vacations too. Like if I took a, went off and took a vacation, I always wanted to come back better. Like I always wanted to come back and like just fucking kill it that first week back from a vacation. And I think it's important to do that if you, if you take this time away, like you, you need to come kind of come back and show people like, okay, this was valuable. I needed this. Like here are the results. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns, but a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, look, as you know, in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile, I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings on to you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can choose from three, six or 12-month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash HPP. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift, and many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give MindLift a go, the neuroscience-based, personalised brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com slash highperformance. Can we go into that phrase you use that is a brilliant one about if you're willing just to lose something, it makes people appreciate what they've got because... 
that's worth exploring, I think, in more detail. I had been saying yes to every, so many things for so long that I forgot what I actually wanted to be working on. But when you, when you just cut everything off and you go away for a while, you start missing some projects and you don't miss others. And I came back with a list of like, these are things I'm never doing again, period, right? Uh, for me, the, the number one thing was public speaking. It's easy money on paper in my profession, but it it's just like so draining and just not enjoyable for me. When I was away, it, it was the first and most obvious thing of like, I should stop doing this. Like, it's just not, I don't need the money. It doesn't make me happy. It wastes a bunch of time. It distracts me from things I want to be working on. Like, uh, and so I, you know, you come back with a list of like, okay, these are the things I'm not going to do anymore. These are things I'm not going to focus on. But I think on the, on the other side, it's, it's people look at it and, and it, it allows them to miss you. It allows them to say like, shit, you know, Mark was adding a lot of value on this project. I really can't wait for him to come back. And so it, it's, I think it can improve business relationships and, and again this is this is under the assumption that you're not doing anything drastic or unreasonable like disappearing for three years and then you know obviously if you disappear for three years like you're not gonna your your job's not gonna wait for you that long yeah. but like you know if if you're anxious or uncertain about you know maybe you really do feel like you need a couple months away and you're afraid to ask for that a lot of people could be pleasantly surprised at the reaction that they, they could get. I love all that stuff because it plays really nicely into the power of taking responsibility for things. You know, like um, you talk brilliantly in the film Fault versus Responsibility, and that is one of our key lessons here on High Performance is trying to help people realise the difference between just because something isn't your fault, it's still your responsibility to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's particularly important as it relates to teams and, and it also relates to leadership, this concept of radical responsibility. Like it's, yeah, it's not my fault somebody on my team fucked up, but like I need to be there and pick up the slack. Can you talk to us about Manson's law of avoidance? You said in, uh, you said in your film that the, it would be a dream to have a law named after yourself one day. <laughs> <laughs> You've nailed it. You've had everything yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I could, I could die happy. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I was obnoxious enough to name a law after myself. Uh, Manson's law of avoidance is basically just this idea that however we define ourselves, like the way we think about ourselves, our emotions tend to protect that. So like the simplest example of this is that if you, if you largely define yourself by say, you know, how good of a, a podcaster you are or whatever. You then read a comment of somebody talking shit about you. Your natural reaction is going to be anger. You're going to be like, what the hell is wrong with this person? I'm so sick of these trolls and haters. And you're going to have an emotional reaction to that. And, and just the way our mind seems to function is that whatever the self-definition is, the emotions kind of conspire and get together to protect that self-definition, to respond in a way that keeps that self-definition intact. It's often referred to as the ego. Well, what's interesting is that we have that emotional response, not only when somebody challenges our identity in a negative way, but we also have that emotional response when something challenges our identity in a positive way. This is why people self-sabotage a lot when like huge opportunities come by. It's sometimes referred to as this feeling of not deserving. It's not so much that you don't deserve something good in your life. It's just that you've defined yourself in one way that is extremely comfortable and feels secure to you. And then when somebody comes and offers you a huge opportunity, that completely negates a lot of the narratives that you've been basing your life on. And that's a really, really scary thing. And that creates a lot of anxiety and it creates a lot of resistance and it creates a lot of emotions that try to convince you to not do that huge opportunity because that might mess everything up. And so Manson's law of avoidance is really just like we tend to be re repelled by anything that challenges our definition of ourselves. So how does that fit with the start this conversation about that delusional positivity? Because if you present it with an opportunity and you've convinced yourself that it goes outside your comfort zone, surely to believe you can take it on then. 
requires a degree of delusional positivity. Well, I think I think this is probably the reason why a delusional positivity in terms of like future projection is so useful and does lead to higher performance so often. It's because if the narrative you're telling yourself is like, I'm going to be huge, I'm a huge success, it, it just hasn't happened yet. And then the opportunity comes by, you're like, ah, it's about damn time somebody else noticed. Uh, whereas if you don't have that narrative to begin with, then then you might resist that opportunity. This opportunity that you said when all your dreams came true, when the subtle art did become that international bestseller. I'm interested in what were the ghosts from your childhood that were rattling around your own adult body? You know, the narratives <laughs> that you'd had from your own upbringing that maybe got in the way of you being able to enjoy that success. But it's really funny because as a teenager, I wanted to be a musician and I took it very seriously. I went to music school and then I realized, okay, I don't want to be a musician. <laughs> this is really fucking hard. And uh, damn, people expect you to practice a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, when I started, when I started my first website, my only goal was to make enough money online that I could go to Thailand and Argentina and Brazil and party and like hang out at the beach. Like that was pretty much <laughs> the extent of my ambitions for most of my twenties. And then it wasn't until like the first kind of real big ambition I had, I decided I think it was 26. I've been doing a bunch of websites, online business. I've been doing some freelance web design. I've been doing some online marketing. I've been doing some affiliate stuff. And then I've been doing the blogging and I, I was okay at all of it and not excellent at anything. And I looked at it and I said, okay, I've been doing all this stuff for a few years. I've been living on beaches in Thailand and Argentina and Brazil. The one thing out of everything I'm doing, the one thing I think I have actually have some talent and I actually really enjoy is the, is the writing. And so I decided at that point, okay, my dream is I want to be an author. I want to be a published author. I want to have books. And one day I want to be like a New York Times bestseller. If I can do that, then, oh my God, life is going to be great. And so for the next five or six years, I progressively worked towards things that led to that. You know, I built up a blog and I built up the readership and I got an agent and I got a book deal and yada, yada. Well, then the book comes out and it becomes a huge hit. And all that stuff is realized within, like I said, within a few months of the book coming out. And the problem was, is I had no vision for myself beyond that. Like in my head, I was like, I'm going to be writing and working at this dream probably my entire adult life. Like if I hit it, I'm probably going to be like in my late 40s or 50s. And then I hit it in my early 30s. I think it kind of triggered a midlife crisis a little bit early for me in, 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 which, I'm, in which I'm sitting around in my apartment, uh, you know, wondering what is it all for? What's next? You know, wh what am I going to do with my life? What's the point of any of this? Uh, it, you know, so it something I failed to do, but I think is important, especially for people who are in industries like mine or say people who are athletes. I think it's important to think about, okay, what's, what's the thing that's next? I have a, I have a friend in, in New York who's a sports psychologist. And he told me, he said, we start talking to athletes about planning for their second career, their rookie season. He said, I, I, I'll get a guy coming in who's 21 years old, was hot shit, you know, went first round in the draft, is like going to be the new star for his baseball team or his football team or whatever. And he's like, I'm already talking to him. What are you going to do when you're 40? What is your second career going to be? How are you going to spend your 40s and 50s and 60s? Because he said that so many athletes, you know, they, they get to the end of their career and they, they still have half their life in front of them and no vision for themselves. I guess the same way you would diversify a, a portfolio, like your financial investments, you should probably diversify how you invest in how you see yourself. Like, don't just go all in on like one pursuit, have a well-rounded identity of various ambitions and goals that you want throughout your life. So that not only if you like 
do hit a dream, you don't feel completely lost. But also like, you know, if if something goes horribly wrong in one area of your life, you don't feel like you're completely lost either. We're about to move on to our quick fire questions, but I can't do that without asking you just to share one last story with us from the film about Dave Mustaine, the founding member of Metallica. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I, we live in a world where everyone is comparing themselves to everybody else. So would you mind for our listeners just <laughs> sharing this story just briefly for a couple of minutes? Okay, so I'm a big metal fan. And Dave Mustaine, he was the f- first lead guitarist of Metallica. And he actually got kicked out of Metallica right before Metallica recorded their first album. Now, obviously, that that's a terrible thing. But Dave Mustaine was super interesting in that he got very pissed off and he said, I'm going to use this as fuel. He did all the things that you know we all talk about that you should do when you have a setback or a failure or whatever. He said, I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to make a better band. I'm going to sell more records. I'm going to sell more albums, do a bigger tours, et cetera, et cetera. And so he created Megadeth. And I think to this day, he's sold 100 million records. He's done stadium tours around the world. He's grossed hundreds of millions of dollars. He's one of the biggest rock musicians in history. The problem is the band that he was kicked out of is an even bigger group of even bigger rock musicians in history. And so there's this fascinating documentary, I think it happened in the early 2000s, where in an interview, he was had tears in his eyes and he said, I still feel like a failure because I'm still the guy who got kicked out of Metallica. Doesn't matter how many records I sell, doesn't matter how many stadiums I play to, I'm not Metallica. Like they've done more, they've sold more records, they've done bigger tours. And so I still feel like a failure. And it to me, it's just such a fascinating demonstration that like the way we define success for ourselves is so precarious. And you have to be really, really careful because Dave Mustaine's a great example of he defined success for himself in a way that was very helpful early in his career. He was like, oh, those guys kicked me out of their band. Fuck those guys. I'm going to be bigger and better and more successful than them. And that helped him get started and it helped him, you know, sell a bunch of records and everything. But jump ahead 20 years and that definition of success became a prison for him and it prevented him from appreciating anything that he had accomplished, from enjoying any of the successes that he had had. It's just a really fascinating cautionary tale of be careful how you're measuring yourself. It's good stuff, man. Let's move on to our quick fire questions to round up, Mark. The first one is what are the three behaviors that you and ideally the people around you must buy into? Authenticity, respect, and compassion. Nice. I would say. If you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why? Uh, I do my wedding again. My wife is Brazilian and Brazilians, if there was a Nobel Prize for parties, a Brazilian <laughs> would win every single year for the last hundred years. Like they are just any sort of celebration or joyous occasion, they do it best. And we, our wedding was in Brazil and it was just unbelievable. So nice. Where were you? Where are you? Where are you going? Fuck, man. I'm a writer. So, like, my mind is like (laughs) spinning up all these metaphors. And, and, like, I. Come on, think out loud. We want to hear this. This is not a quick fire question for me. Um, I think, I think where I was, and I'm thinking of myself, say, like 10 to 15 years ago, was somebody with a lot of drive and talent, but without focus. I think where I am now is I am like in that prism of like taking wide diffuse light and focusing it on a single point. And where I'm, I'm going is I'm trying to be merciless in protecting that focus on that single point, saying no to all the distractions in life. And, and by the way, side note, sorry, this is getting really long. This is not a quick fire answer at all. Side note ties in with all this discussion about success. One of the things that people never tell you about success is that it gets harder and harder to say no to things because all of the things that people are coming and offering you are shinier and shinier and shinier. And so early in my career, I always prided myself 
at being very good at like not doing things I didn't want to do. But fuck, man, it gets hard. It gets really hard. <laughs> like, like there's just so many cool opportunities and big checks and, you know, like, and it, it, it's a trap. It's a, it's a huge trap. So that's where I feel like I'm going. You had a dream. Um, and then it, someone said, why do you care I'm dead when you're still too afraid to live? I think we should finish with you just sharing that with us because I think that probably is a lesson for how to live a high performance life. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who have not read the book or seen the movie, I tell a story. I had a friend when I was a teenager, I had a friend who passed away suddenly and tragically. And, um, when I was young, I was, I was, you know, I smoked a lot of weed and was just kind of, kind of a lazy entitled young person and also suffered a lot from social anxiety and was just like very much within my shell. And I had a dream. This friend of mine was a very outgoing guy that I looked up to. And, and shortly after he died, I had a dream with him in it. And I told him, I said, I'm sorry you died. And he responded, why are you sorry I'm dead when you're still so afraid to live? And, uh, I remember I woke up crying from that. And, uh, honestly that that whole experience his his passing and then just the number that grieving process did to me psychologically as a young person like it really i think it's one of the most formative things that has ever happened to me um is showing me how fragile life is how easily it can be taken away and how you really really whatever you do cannot waste a moment appreciate every second of it so what a way to finish mark the pleasure has been all ours thank you so much for finding the time to speak to us on high performance thank you guys damien jake i think that was full of gold i thought it was brilliant yeah i love his brilliant writing i've i've I enjoyed reading his blogs for a long time i just love how we can take an idea and explain it in such a succinct digestible way. I think there's a real talent in that. And having met him, I think his ability to articulate it was equally fabulous. I think that one of the big takeaways for me, right, from Mark Manson's work is this understanding that we're all thinking happiness lies in having a problem-free life. He makes it very clear that there is no such thing as a problem-free life. Like life is not without problems. It's not without pain. It's not without disaster. It's not without disappointment but it can still be good. And having those problems and overcoming those problems is actually where the fulfillment in life is rather than, as he says, getting to the top of the mountain, thinking you've scaled the mountain and seeing straight away, there's another peak five miles further on yeah. in that world. <clears throat> nothing joyful lives because you're constantly on that. Again, the hardonic treadmill thinking, right, next mountain, next mountain. It is this for him. It's this understanding that the overcoming of life's shitty things is actually the, is the greatness in life. Yeah, the journey, not the destination. Yeah. I think there was another big thing, though, that I took away from it was, it reminded me of, um, there's a brilliant book by a guy called Barry Schwartz, and the book is called The Paradox of Choice, where we convince ourselves that having a plethora of choices will make us happier. You know, if I could have this and this and this, and, and I'd love that, and I'd love to have that choice. And what Barry Schwartz talks about, and what Marx just told us is that actually having lots of choice makes us, unhappier because we always feel we're missing out on something that there's always something else that we could be having rather than enjoying what we've got in this moment in time. And I think that was a really interesting part of the discussion around the success, how brighter, bigger, shinier objects come your way. And that doesn't make you happier. Focusing on what really lights your fire is where true high performance exists. Yeah. And I think the way that he signed off that conversation talking about you know the death of his friend and the impact it had on him and the dream that he had i think i get the sense that that kind of lives with him daily you know people most people will hear this podcast but if people are are watching it you'll see that actually he looked quite emotional just even talking about it there yeah i mean what a great line that is that why would you be worried about my death when you you're afraid to live mm. and i think it reminded me a little bit of the conversation that we had with lindsay burrow the wife of Rob Burrow, the former rugby player who's tragically suffering from motor neuron disease, that people can go back and listen to her interview where 
she almost gave us a manifesto for living life in the face of death, you know, about being grateful, enjoying the small moments, embracing positive emotions when they occur. And again, there's, there's so many echoes with previous guests in terms of what Mark's sharing with us there. It was a real privilege to listen to him. It's great. And you're not special, Damien, okay? <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, I was told they were special at school, but I think it was the nuns sort of but let me down the, gently. The thing is, though, it's an interesting way to think about it, is that doing that to children just sets them up for failure. For To say your kids, you're special, you're amazing. You're gonna, I'm now thinking, you can say the things you're doing are special. Like that bit of singing yeah. was really special, but you're special. I can see like with best intentions as a parent, I do it all the time, but I can also see what Mark is explaining that what's that going to do to them? It's going to make them think there's just amazing life of daily pleasure awaiting you. And like he says, 90% of life is pretty crap and a bit mundane. And it is. And we have to maybe explain that to our young people. Like that's what you're going to live. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a powerful point. I think you can achieve special things, but don't don't get high on your own supply. Don't think that mm. you're special. You know, like you, like you think of all the amazing guests that we've met on this podcast where it's the humility of the ones that stand out, isn't it? The ones that might like ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I think that's a distinction that he was making there, that it's not that we're all born special or we should put ourselves on a pedestal. That's a dangerous place to view the world from. Oh, I really enjoyed that episode. Thanks a lot, Damien. Right. On to something a bit different. Okay. Let's meet another high performance listener. Matteo, how's things? Things are pretty good. Um, I'm currently in my fourth year studying architecture at the University of Malta. Um, I'm also a UEFA licensed coach. Um, and yeah, basically living a, a 21 year old life. Love that. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us from Malta. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Podcast in Malta. Um, but being at university in Malta is what you do. It's not who you are. So maybe you would like to share with us the story that you emailed into the high performance team, because I think it would be so valuable for our listeners, man. Yeah. So basically, um, two years ago in 2020, it was practically the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Um, I was back in, in that time playing my second season at senior level in football. And, uh, because training had to stop. I made sure to remain active. I didn't want to lose what I had gained and continue to go for jogging, etc. Something that I used to do whenever I didn't have um, training on off days, basically. Um, but I did some work, some, some architecture work, went for the jog and little did I know that that jog would change the rest of my life because I was run over by, by a vehicle went straight into a 10-day coma and it wasn't just any coma it was a coma at a glasgow scale of three which if you don't know is the worst level of coma you can be into you are practically unresponsive i spent further two days in induced coma um, and from that i had to start slowly slowly um uh, getting back to normality it was also difficult for me because it was not just the physical pain and physical effects that this accident left, but mostly psychologically. Psychologically, it was immensely difficult. And perhaps the most thing that led to this was the passing of one of my greatest friends. Uh, his name is Emerson, who left this world due to a heart attack only two days after I was in, in, in coma, so on my second day of coma, he he passed away with a, with a heart attack. And of course, this was difficult. It was also difficult for me, even simply, you know, looking at the mirror, because I had to spend the following summer uh, of 2020 with practically without one third of my skull. So just imagine looking at the mirror. Looking back now, I say, I'm extremely proud of myself about the determination that I had to accomplish this target and graduate in my first year. It wasn't just the diploma, but it was, you know, a motivation in itself that, okay, things are going to come in your life, but if there is something that you want, if you are strong enough, mentally especially, um, not, nothing can stop you. And, you know, despite being just a diploma, I repeat, I am so proud of the fact that I managed to continue it and 
here today I am in in my fourth year. So, so that's that, that's my a brief story of myself. It's an amazing story, and it's a reminder of something we talk about so often on high performance, Matteo, as you will know, which is making sure that the way we react to the world is the key thing. So your job really very quickly was to focus on what you had and not what you'd lost. You had to focus on the fact that you still had your life, despite the fact that you had, you know, lost so much. You'd lost your football career. You'd lost your friend Emerson. But look at what you have now. You're, a, you're studying architecture. You're a UEFA qualified coach. You know, you now are working hard to get your health back. You have your friends, your family, your loved ones around you. I'd love to know what the High Performance Podcast did for you on this journey and whether there was any specific moments that really spoke to you that you would happily share with the people listening to this today. I was already a very motivated person, but it continued to motivate me and change the way I look at certain things. The first podcast that I saw, it was that of Roxana Fusi. Simply visualizing things and visualizing myself and what I would like to be in the future is the way um, that I still, to some extent, agree with with Nafusi's experience and and her motivation in life. Of course, there were more podcasts that I was happy to listen to, especially those that relate a lot to my uh, career. So at the moment, football, of course, Garrett Southgate, Lampard, both both podcasts, and uh, something that I really found interesting also was the Manchester United. Um, head coach academy Nick, Nick Cox I thought that was very interesting for me mate I love it I'm going to pass on your message right and your thanks to all of those people I'll send them all a message and let them know that there's a guy in Malta who's been through so much but is still standing is still moving forwards is still high performance and uh, and they've all helped you listen let's um let's finish with you giving the people listening to this your three non-negotiables because you've got an amazing story I'm sure you've got three fascinating non-negotiables that you live your life by to be determined I think that has to definitely be one of them to truly have passion for what you do you have to have passion passion is you cannot achieve nothing without passion um and and to most importantly, enjoy the process. Mate, I love it. You're a converted high-performance listener, that's for sure. What a story. What a person. What a mindset. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us, Matteo. You have done a, a massive thing with this podcast. And yeah, thanks a lot. Well, look, as always, huge thanks to you for listening to the High Performance Podcast. I only ask one thing of you. It takes about two seconds. Just click the follow button wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, then hit subscribe on YouTube, please. It makes all the difference to us because it means that we can grow our channels. It means that we can then attract bigger names. And if we do that, then we can bring you more incredible conversations. So please follow us or just spread the lessons you're taking from this series. Ping this episode, this amazing conversation with Mark Manson to just one person and let's see where it gets us. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, it's all there for you. Chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious and empathetic. And we'll see you soon. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.